Hey, you know that other life that you've been dreaming about? That life where you feel free, uplifted, calm, and kick-ass? Well, that life isn't as far away as you might think. Welcome to the Fuck Yeah Life Podcast, where we talk about living that OMG is this real version of your life. You know, your fuck yeah life. Hello, I'm Briley, your host on this journey. So, are you ready? Well then, let's fucking do this. Hello, and welcome back to the Fuck Yeah Life. I'm your host, Briley. And in this episode, I'm going to take you on my heroine's journey. Each of our stories is unique and wholly our own. But I hope that in hearing my story of my heroine's journey, that you can identify with some aspect of my challenges and feel inspired to live your own fuck yeah life. In a hero's journey, the hero finally accepts that they have to go accept the challenge. And so the thing important to kind of set up for this is in March of 2021, I had just moved to a new city to take up a new job at the beginning of the COVID lockdown. So by this point, I had been living alone in isolation with just my gang, which my gang is my cats and my dog. So we had been living in isolation for about a year in a new city with little to no social contact. And at that point, on that March morning, I had the painful realization that I had been in this situation before and too many times before in my career. And by this, I mean a scenario in which people, usually other women, in positions of greater authority than myself, come to some conclusions about me, my work, or something that I'm involved with. And they decide that the best thing to do is to sit me down and tell me everything they think is wrong with me or whatever I've done, and then lay out how they are going to handle things from here on out. There's no need to ask questions or try to come to some sort of understanding about shared goals or ways of achieving them. I was about nine months into this job and in a pandemic. I'd never physically been to my office or met my students yet, but minds were made up about me. Questions, curiosity, understanding, that is not necessary or even a good idea in these scenarios. I have been errant and they are stepping in to take control and right the ship. Now, this surely sounds like I'm a grade-A wildcard rogue player and or a massive fuck-up. I would argue that none of these are the case. Rather, what I was and continue to be is a human being who was not gifted with the ability to read minds. Yet, over my career, I have found myself in a series of workplace scenarios in which I was, in fact, expected to read minds, or 
meet unspoken expectations and then perform them flawlessly. So that March morning in 2021, I took a deep breath and tried to muster the energy that I needed to to call in to this meeting. And this meeting had been called by my department chair late the afternoon before with no request, but yet a demand for a specific time to talk. I got on the call and I asked the assistant chair, the other person on the call, if she could fill me in on what we would be addressing in the meeting or even the impetus for the urgently called meeting. And she deflected, saying that we should just wait until everyone was on the call. So I took a deep breath, hoping that it might spark some yet untapped energy source. And I stepped outside onto my back porch. I sorted my headphones and set myself up in the heavily pillowed daybed. And I stared out at the tiny patch of backyard. I had the feeling that I'd need as much gentleness and support as I could get for this one. It was 8.30 a.m. and I already knew I didn't have anything left to give. I was out. Nothing good was coming. The past six years had been difficult for me, but the last year had been particularly brutal. I was transitioning for my career working at art museums into academia in 2016. Landing my first job as a full-time tenure-track professor at a major research university had felt like winning the lottery. And I think the odds might be better for the lottery. (laughs) But after finishing my PhD, I'd applied to a number of museum jobs and fellowships and research funding schemes, but only one academic post. And I only got one offer. I became an assistant professor and graduate program director. This was the academic equivalent of winning the Hunger Games. And the favor of the odds was not lost on me. There was also a big part of me that thought, holy shit, I've made it. The other part of me felt very reluctant, but knew I couldn't say no to a great opportunity, especially since there was no other offers on the table. And if I'm truly being honest with you, I didn't really want to go back to working in a museum either. The job had burnt me out multiple times, and I'd been enjoying the flexibility of being a researcher. The rub for me was that the amazing job I was offered was 2,400 miles from Los Angeles, California, which I'd considered to be my home in every sense of the word. Los Angeles had close friends, the support network that had gotten me through a lot over the last 20 years. And I'd had an on and off relationship with the city for that long. It was also a city that inspired me. It brought me a lot of joy. I revel in the ethereal sunsets of Los Angeles. It's crisp winter mornings and it's foggy gray spring ones. But now I was leaving all of this for a job in a rural 
southern college town, with just my cats joining me. But now, I had to decide between my career and community. The safety, joy, and comfort I felt being in a place I knew and loved with friends that supported me. But I believe that the latter could be created anywhere. But my career was precious and could only thrive under very special and rare conditions. So yeah, I chose my career. And I genuinely believe that every place had something wonderful about it, and I still do. On my first visit to the town to find a place to live, I kept saying to myself, it isn't bad, it's just different. I refute the idea wholeheartedly that only large coastal towns have anything worthwhile going on. I approached this moment in my life as a reluctant adventure. I was going to find out what made this corner of the country magical. I could make this work. While there, I poured my energy into my job and making my home a beautiful and comforting space. Oh, I invested in wallpaper, and there was landscaping, and painting, and new light fixtures, and even I even had plans to remodel the kitchen eventually. It was a lovely expression of my taste, and honestly, it was my attempt to surround myself with the reminders of Los Angeles and to comfort me when I was so far from home. I was trying to build the outward sense of home and comfort to assuage the feelings of not belonging and vulnerability of being alone. I also threw myself into my job. (laughs) I created a strategic vision for the program I ran. And this plan, it charted an ambitious path to move it from being a more regional program to being one of a national and international reputation that was competitive and it was really reshaping the discipline. I endeavored to carry out this plan as the only faculty member in the program, which also included convincing my colleagues that it was, one, it was a legitimate academic area of study, and also convince the school and the college leadership that the program and my vision for it were worth continuing and increasing support for. I also tried to create a social life within this small town, where circles of university faculty were fairly insular. Within the small circle, there were those with children and there were those without. And those with children rarely crossed over into the circles of those without. And uh, I was, basically I was overworked, underappreciated, and very isolated. In short, I was just a very, very long way from home. Hey, are you wondering, like, how do I even know what my fuck yeah life looks like? Well, boo, I got you. Head on over to thefuckyalifepod.com and sign up for five days to your fuck yeah life. 
This is a series of journaling prompts I designed specifically to help you jumpstart your own fuck yeah life. Okay, let's get back into it. Things went from hard to brutal and just kept getting worse. Academia is not a gentle place. It is not. And many academic departments are politically fraught spaces. But a small, underfunded one in a competitive university can be a pit of vipers. I began my tenure trying to prove my value and advocate for my program and students and find support for them. In short, I was all in. Because one, doing everything means you're amazing. And two, this wasn't just my job. It was my career. It was my whole identity. I had been dedicated to it for over 20 years. And I had made all of my friends through my career. When I went on vacation, I didn't go on vacation. I went on research trips. I visited loads of museums. And I was always jotting down notes of like possible future articles and research I could do. I was all in. But in this new professional gig, I soon realized that many of my colleagues, what they wanted was for my program to benefit them. And after that, they just, you know, wanted my slow and painful death. (laughs) Everything just felt like a struggle. Not only was there little to no support for me, but I felt that there was a continuous need to protect myself. My body was responding to this stress as if I was quite literally under attack. I was being fueled by cortisol. This was manifesting in a highly dysregulated nervous system. My emotions were becoming increasingly dysregulated as well. I was grinding my teeth and clenching my jaw, which was causing me pain when I was chewing and kicked off painful headaches. I was either terribly exhausted or on edge. My eating was disordered as well. I became increasingly anxious and depressed. I developed digestive problems. I had breakouts of eczema and psoriasis and just absolutely debilitating migraines. So my answer to all of this was just to try to get better at my job. In my mind, if I was amazing, who could argue with that, right? Right? So I mapped out a very simple four-point plan in which I would, one, get an amazing publishing contract from a top academic publisher. I would complete my amazing manuscript that once published would win awards and be the equivalent of sliced bread and radically shift the way the discipline was practiced. Three, I would apply for and be awarded a million dollar federal research grant that would create a collaboration with colleagues in museums and academia around the country and yield research that would, again, 
reshape the discipline. And four, all of this would position me to sail through the tenure process. I aimed to carry this plan out in two, maybe three years tops with the goal of everyone just leaving me the fuck alone. Simple plan, right? Be amazing, do all the work, everyone will just leave me the fuck alone. So at the core of this plan was the thinking that I could control others' response to me by doing more to meet the expectations I had assumed they had for me. More simply put, if I do more and do it perfectly, they will respect me and all the problems I'm currently facing will be sorted. This is a flawed plan. (laughs) I don't think I need to explain that. But when I reflect on this moment in my life, I see myself clinging to a myth of perfection that tells women that our worth is in how flawless we are. I leaned way far into this by hyper-planning and goal-setting. I created a personal strategic plan for myself, like documents, (laughs) of a strategic plan for myself on the regular. And as someone with ADHD, I like love the dopamine hit of a planner and like colorful pens and stickers, but also struggle with time management. (laughs) So I was on overdrive trying to control my time and my brain. And my whole body was just exhausted and collapsing. This is what I call like planner culture. And planner culture is the belief that if we just have the right planner and the right pens, we can manage to do absolutely anything and everything. This can have a seriously negative effect on people because it makes us believe that we are capable of anything. But there are physical and emotional limits to the labor we can carry. There just is. And our worth is not in our labor or how much we can bear. So I put my four-point plan into action. I was committed to this plan. During the 2018-2019 academic year and into the fall of 2019, I traveled nearly once a month to give a talk, take students on a study trip, attend a conference, conduct research. I was on the move, literally. All of this while I was continuing to maintain my teaching duties on campus, because remember this was like pre-pandemic, pre-Zoom, my administrative responsibilities, um, and also preparing extensive government grant applications. Remember that was like point three on my plan. And I was also simultaneously writing articles and preparing my manuscript for publication. Points one and two on my plan. I felt like I was killing it. I mean, I was also killing myself, but I wasn't quite ready to see that yet. So in December 2019, I was in Madrid. And I had been invited to give a talk at the Reina Sofia Museum. Museo Reina Sofia. And I was 
very excited about this, to be sharing my research with an international group of scholars, many of whom I had read for years and I highly respected. And this was really big for me. On the day I arrived in Madrid, though, I was just like leveled with a terrible cold. And my body was communicating. Yes. Was I open to hearing it? Absolutely no. (laughs) So I crashed and I slept the rest of the day. And then the following day, I filled myself up with, you know, amphetamine-based cold medicine, as you do. And I wandered through the Prado and the Museo Tisan Boromitsa in this, like, weird haze of jet lag and cold medicine. And then I came back to my hotel and I sat down to polish my talk and go through my slides and the videos for my presentation. And then I received an email from the director of my school, my department. And I replied to her with the requested information. And and then I said that I didn't have all of the materials on my computer, but that I would send them as soon as I was back the following week. This is quickly replied to with an admonishment that I had not received approval to be away from campus. And she was unaware that I was away. This was a clear violation of policy. Like, policy? I thought, like, which policy? In the two and a half years that I'd been at the university, I'd traveled numerous times, and I'd never heard a peep about the trail of paperwork that she was expecting in this situation. And I told her that my travel plans had received funding, that she had signed off on the trip, but apparently I missed some paperwork that I'd never heard about. And my feelings of being excited and proud were instantly deflated and replaced with anger and fear and anxiety, and honestly, a great deal of sadness. It was also crushing because my simple plan that I'd been killing myself was not working. I was presenting my research at a prestigious international venue with top scholars in my field, and all I heard was that I hadn't filled out the right paper. Later that day, I received an email from a friend and a colleague at another big research university, and they were recruiting for a position in my field. Would I be interested in a new position? I took the alignment of these two emails as a sign that I was not where I was supposed to be and that someone was reaching out to say, we see your worth come over here and i did just that i got to a bigger city and a lovely house and there were a lot more tacos because i really need tacos such good tacos but within eight nine months of being in that new position i again found myself in a meeting in which i was being told that I just wasn't doing enough. So back to the beginning 
in that morning in March on my back porch, that call, that meeting, felt like an assault. I was being pummeled while I was down, and my pleas to stop were going unheard. Now, this is some, you know, dramatic, creative metaphoring here, but effective, no? You get the picture of how I felt. I was down. I was way down. And I was being surrounded by bullies who were trying to get a piece of me. Work didn't feel safe. Even when I was working from home in the isolation of a pandemic, I just didn't feel safe. When I got off that call, I was completely drained. Like I just had like a big cry kind of drain and, and partly because I, I had had a big cry. But I walked into my house and thank goodness my friend Jen was there. And I looked at her standing in my kitchen and I calmly said to her, I have to quit my job. And later that day, we packed up the car and we set on a three-day drive to California. It was spring break. And as we moved like through the plains of North Texas and into the scrubby Chihuahuan desert, and then the Red Hills of Arizona, I did that drive a lot. <laughs> I quietly stared out the window and kept wondering, what the fuck do I do now? This wasn't an exciting, like, ooh, adventure kind of feeling. No, it was terror. And it was also a feeling of total failure. And a lot of sadness. So what did I do from there? Well, this is sort of the end of Act One, per se. I have been forced out of my comfort zone, and I have to go in to the proverbial wilderness. So while I was in the car on that trip, I sent an email to a coach that I had worked with a little over a year before. And I knew that she had put together a program for women who were trying to build new businesses or side hustles or, you know, trying to switch up their game a bit. And so I emailed her and I wondered if I could even be amongst them because I basically had no idea, like nothing. All I knew was that I had to get out. And I just needed a space to like talk through stuff and figure out what was next. And it felt icky, like, ugh, to not know. Like in your body, just like so uncomfortable. Like to not have a plan was not how I did things. Remember, hyper planning. <laughs> so like over the next three or four months, we worked together to dig into some of like what I might do next. The first nut we had to crack was how much I had identified with my profession, right? It was my identity. I was a museum educator. I was a professor. I was a historian. Challenging my own notions of my identity and ideas about worth were like earth shattering for me, right? 
I was fearing the loss, not just of a job, but like a sense of who I was, of what I was meant to do, of all of my social networks. There was a genuine fear of like being set adrift with no sense of belonging or ways of getting back. And just to clarify, this is like my little reptilian brain talking to me. But the second nut that I had to crack was around money. And like many people, I had a deep capitalist understanding of where money comes from. So I exchange my time and labor and someone gives me money. My value was thus my time and my labor. It was also essential for my survival, right? My time and my labor. I was stuck in the belief that not having a traditional job in which someone paid me for my time and labor and offered me healthcare and a 401k would definitely end in me being destitute and unhoused under the freeway, right? Totally logical. I could not see a way of transitioning out of this system into one in which I could create a business that didn't kill me. And at this time, I was so burnt out. I was so fatigued. I felt like I didn't have enough labor in me to survive. There'll be a future episode about money mindset and a fuck yeah life. But for now, I'll just say that I had to address my own root beliefs around scarcity and lack, which was manifesting in my fixation on money as the reason I could not make any moves. Scarcity and lack also had me believing that I didn't deserve so many of the things just beyond money, like Things such as, like, I didn't deserve joy or calm or work that I enjoyed and work that was creatively fulfilling or to be surrounded by a community that loves and supports me. That's just to name a few. One of the things that comes up most when I'm talking to people about making big changes in their lives is, like, where do I start? And how do I even know what my fuck yeah life looks like? So I'll also just put a plug in here. I created some journal prompts to help people start exploring what their fuck yeah life could look like. And that's called Five Days to Your Fuck Yeah Life. You can sign up for it on my webpage at lifewithbriley.com or links to it in my Instagram. My Instagram is at Briley Rasmussen. I'm also going to talk to you about some of the things that I did in this period of figuring it out. And I will tell you right here and now that everyone wants to skip this part. I, I tried to skip this part. Everyone wants the answer so they can move on, like just move on already, right? It feels super icky and I don't like not knowing, can you just please tell me what to do? That's what I hear from so many people. Okay, here's the bit. It feels so icky. Like, can't you just tell me what to do already? And sorry, babes. No, I cannot. And again, you can't skip this part. This is where we do the hard work of doing the the reconnecting with ourselves and doing what Brene Brown calls the rumble. 
So she writes in her book, Rising Strong, quote, the rumble is where we own our story. The goal of the rumble is to be honest about the stories we're making up about our struggles, to revisit, challenge, and reality check these narratives as we dig into topics such as boundaries, shame, blame, resentments, heartbreak, generosity, and forgiveness. That's some deep shit, y'all. And this period that Brene Brown calls the rumble that I was in, in this part of my story, it is not easy, but it is so good in so many ways. So I'm not going to go too deep into my rumble right now because like I'm literally writing a book. But suffice to say that my story, the story I had been telling myself was that I was deeply errant. Yeah, that I was not a good person and that I had to prove my worthiness and lovability by what I could do and specifically do for others. I was also telling myself that I was incapable of taking care of myself and thriving and also that I didn't deserve wealth or success for all of the reasons I just listed. Oh, And I was also telling myself that I was stupid, but I was just okay at hiding it from the other actual smart people around me. So I know that this story doesn't seem to really match up with the sort of affable and multi-degreed professor that you are here listening to. And these are the interior narratives that keep us stuck. We all have some version of it. And they keep us stuck in places that don't serve us. And they keep us living lives that are not fulfilling and that are not joyous. I know that you probably have some version of your own story that others would not recognize as you. We all do. And that's why we need to fucking rumble. (laughs) So here's one small way in which I rumble with these stories. So whenever I feel myself thinking that I cannot do something or that it is impossible, I write down at least five things that I have done in my life that were hard or I thought I couldn't do at some point, right? Eventually, as I've done this many times, eventually this is made into like a timeline of sorts, this like enormous list. And of course, me being me, there was like colored pens and there was like stickers but doing this exercise is a strong reminder of what we know we can do because we know we've done it another thing that i have to rumble with a lot and i did a lot of rumbling during the rumble but it just did keeps going um is i also have to rumble with grief even when there's like excitement and joy around change there's also sadness about the life that we no longer live, or letting go of the idea of a life we thought we were going to have. Acknowledging that we are holding grief around the loss of a life or the idea of a life. And like that included certainty, safety, regular paychecks, and also a steady community of friends and family. Those are all things that went away (laughs) 
for me. And I have a long list of losses that I was just like holding on to with such sadness. But also at the same time, reluctant to admit it because I believe that I needed to present as happy and be happy. But I'm just going to name a few of the things that I had to grieve and just let go of. And that's like the excitement that I once had for working in academia. The joy I used to get out of teaching. The life and career I thought I was going to have as a professor. The feeling that I had proven that I wasn't a total failure, right? With my job, I thought it was proof that I wasn't a failure. Not that I was a success, that I wasn't a failure. But like grief, like I said, grief is an ongoing rumble. Because once I let something go, something else looks like pops up in its place. And this is because part of the process of getting honest about and letting go of the stories we tell ourselves, and also the stories that we have accepted that aren't our own, how we accept ideas of who we are and who we aren't, or where we're meant to be or where we're not meant to be. And sometimes we get these ideas from our families or often generationally, our schools or media or just like society in general. But as we dig into these stories of who we think we should be or what we should want in our lives, we will start shedding some of those ideas. And that shedding can be liberating. And it was for me. But with it, there's also loss. In a future episode, we'll talk about like relationships that we hold on to and those we have to release. But sometimes it can just be the loss of an idea, right? Maybe an idea that was very comforting. I thought I knew what I would do for the rest of my life. I didn't take a lot of brain power, worry for me. I knew how to introduce myself easily in social situations, especially since all of my social situations were like work-related generally. But this phase of our transformation journey is about integrating with our wholeness and the parts of ourselves that we'd abandoned and stopped listening to long ago. And we have to go back and come together with those parts to find our fuck yeah, right? So as I rumbled, I started to research, if you will, about myself, right? I'm a researcher. If I looked at my life now and in the past as offering me data on who I was and what lit me the fuck up, I was going to analyze these data points and see what I could learn. So... This was the start of me finding my fuck yeah. So some of the questions that I asked myself and worked on were things like, what did I want to seriously be when I grew up? Like not like, uh, you know, like when you're three and you want to be a ballerina, but like as I got older, when I was around like eight or nine, what did I really want to be and do when I grew up? And then I asked like, what, how do I want to feel when I'm working? What do I want to feel when I wake up? What do I want my days to look like and feel like? Now notice that these were questions that I asked myself that were feeling related, right? They weren't 
career or job focused related, but on how I wanted to feel and just be. I also then did something that I call like a joy and flow inventory, where I thought about when I felt joy and flow in my life. And I asked myself, what about my jobs in the past excited me and was my favorite bit, right? And then in my daily life, in the present, like what really engages and energizes me? For a while, I paid attention then to the things that where I felt good and I felt flowy. And when the things I felt were a struggle, these were all a data points. And from all of this analysis, <laughs> I realized a few common threads about things that I loved and things that really excited me. And they were, I loved writing and telling stories. I liked learning new things. And I liked helping people become more excited and engaged in their lives and to help them create a sense of belonging. And after all, this, I realized, was all of my work as in education and in museums had been about. It had always been about helping people to be more engaged and excited and have agency and to create a sense of belonging. I know some people might wear like, how did you get from there to there? But trust me, that was the thread for me. So I decided to go into coaching because, you know, this aspect of my work as an educator had always been my favorite part. And actually, I realized that I'd actually been doing it for quite a while, but I just never realized that it had transferability outside of the context that I was in. So I also decided that I wanted to write, but instead of academic articles, I wanted to write fiction and specifically crime fiction. So I marked these things down as goals that I wanted. One, I wanted to create a coaching business. Two, I wanted to write crime novels. And three, I wanted to live in London. I had lived in London 20 years previously and for grad school. And I had my closest, dearest friendship group was in the UK. And after actually almost two years of isolation, that I wanted to be closer to those friends. So I wanted to live in London. So these were my three goals that I pulled out of my data, my analysis. So guess what? I created this business, my coaching business. I am currently writing a novel. And guess what? I live in London. Now, this did not happen overnight. This took a solid year, maybe. Yeah, it took a solid year, if not a little more. And each day, I just try to take a step towards these goals. And I didn't know how it was going to turn out. And you're like, honestly, no one does. But through my rumbling, I reconnected with myself. And I fully believe in myself and my dreams, which is really new for me. <laughs> but I feel like I've really gotten, I've really made up for lost time. And the way that my goals turn out, my dreams turn out, like they're not, they're not going to take the exact form of what I thought they would. 
But I believe that they will. And maybe they'll come out even better. And I always try to, like, keep this mindset, like, belief that these things, like, I have the ability to make these things happen. These things will happen. And, you know, it's a hard mindset to maintain, but I, that's where I always try to bring it back to, like, you're fucking doing this, babes. So what is the next step or, like, one small thing to move in that direction? You know, honestly, like, I have a lot of all or nothing kind of thinking plagues me. And so when I get in that mindset, I really have to break it down to like smallness. And I try to focus on what I like to call micro doing. So what's one small thing you can do to move in the direction of one or all of your goals? Like this can be as simple as Googling, right? I mean, honestly. So for example, when I decided I wanted to move to live in London, I just sat down in front of the TV and Googled for a while. Like I was just like information gathering. So what is the cost of living? Where could I live? Where would I want to live? What kind of visas could I get? Do I need an immigration lawyer? I decided yes. Where do I find an immigration lawyer? Also Google. And I just needed more information so I could make the next step. But gathering that information is an important step. I found and applied and was accepted to a creative writing program in crime and thriller writing, which I love. I affectionately call it murder school. So if you ever hear me talking about murder school, that's what it is. We're not actually murdering anyone. And it is the fucking best. It is the fucking best. I realize that I just love, 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 love the creative writing, specifically crime. And here's the thing is I wake up in the morning and think, fuck yeah. Like I don't wake up in the morning with like pain in my chest from the dread and anxiety. I used to always think that mornings were never going to work for me. And But here's the thing. It was the dread that wasn't working for me. When you take dread out of the equation, mornings are just mornings. <laughs> like Just like the afternoon, but earlier. <laughs> so that's basically my heroine's journey. Am I farting rainbows every day? Absolutely not. Do I still struggle? Hell yes. But I'm like so much happier and feel a sense of purpose in what I'm doing. And most importantly, I have the freedom and I feel a sense of agency in my own life. I'm not going to tell you that getting to your fuck yeah life is easy, but it is 100% worth every tear and every struggle. All the best things are, babes, just like you. So I will tell you that I decided to create my coaching business for people like me and hopefully people like you. So myself as a professional woman in my mid-40s, I'm child-free, and I was dedicated to my professional career for nearly 25 years. And now, or then, I was looking for a big change to like reconnect with my authentic self, to find some joy in my life. And when I started this process, I wanted someone to help me figure out like where I was going and help crowd my wild thoughts and keep me from like spinning out. 
But I also wanted a cheerleader, which is like really hard to come by. And like more on that later. And like I wanted someone who would like yell, fuck yeah, with me, right? I wanted someone to share in the excitement of my life. And also to help me understand like what this whole change process was like. When you're in it, it's hard. It is hard to get the perspective on where you are and where you're going. And I wanted that. I wanted that like coach, that person to like help me through the journey. But, you know, I couldn't find it. And so I created it. You can thank me later. (laughs) If you're wondering who the hell I am and why you should listen to me, I'll just say that I've reckoned, I've rumbled, and I'm leading a fucking revolution. And that revolution is for us to live our most joyous and fulfilled lives with agency and grace. So are you coming? (laughs) Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for listening. And if you've enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're ready to start living your own fuck yeah life, head on over to the fuckyeahlifepod.com. That's F-U-C-K-Y-E-A-H pod.com. And sign up for five days to your fuck yeah life. This fab series of journal prompts that I created just for you will help you get on your way to living your own fuck yeah life. And you can find me on Instagram at Briley Rasmussen and hit me up in my DMs. I love hearing from you. Take care, friend. And I'll see you back here next week.